we were talking about that in our crew in terms of how alternative proteins are going to win because you can be more expensive to produce, but it's a volume game. It's a marketing game. And there's some investors that were at this event and they were like, we're looking for the companies that have the winning marketing strategies. Hey, Ram, how's it going? It's going. We've been really busy. There's been so much going on that we just need to talk to our listeners and tell them about all the fun things that have been happening. I think but that's a good we, idea. Yeah, yeah. But also take a quick second to remind people about why we're doing this podcast. What is the mission of Grow Everything? And also like who we are. Why are we even doing this? Ultimately, Grow Everything. The reason we started this podcast is because we have been seeing all the amazing things going on in biotechnology aside just from the pharmaceutical industry, biotechnology is changing every single industry that you can think of. And we knew that our friends that were not in the biotech space didn't really know what was going on. And we wanted to bring biotech into the mainstream to have more people know what's happening so they can talk about it, so they can understand and participate in what is called the bio economy. What about you, Carl? What really inspired you to start this podcast and do this every week? (laughs) Well, it is a lot of work, but it's a lot of joy. I love having conversations with people because it allows me to explore my curiosity We've said it early on in an early episode that we're both very curious people and being able to have conversations with people about what they're doing and how what they're doing is growing the bioeconomy is really important. Those conversations that we have and sharing those conversations with people is really important. And I feel like our mission is very strong because there is not a lot of discussion of biotech in the mainstream. And right now, there's a lot of interesting science that is happening in the world. We just had this big thing happen about room temperature semiconductors, which I don't think ended up turning out the way people expected it. There's nuclear fission is being explored. We've talked to people who are investing in that space. There was some good nuclear power news in Georgia. We haven't had nuclear power news in a long time, and it is a very clean way of producing electricity. All of those point to a need for more science and more science storytelling. And what's happening in biotech, which is already affecting people's lives every day, is a part of that. So I feel like all of those things together made us decide that we want to do this podcast. And so here we are on the verge of recording our 35th. 37th. Yeah. So we'll hit 40 very soon, which I'm very proud of. And the fact that we churn them out every week, we've said it before, it's a lot of work. People have no idea how much work it is, but it's a lot of fun. And so I think it's good that we're taking a break, mini break to just chat to our listeners and tell you what we've got going on and how things are going. Yeah. For our listeners to learn a little bit more about why we started to grow everything and who we are, I recommend listening to the first episode. It is pretty funny. I listened to it the other day and I'm like, wow, we were pretty goofy, which we tend to be sometimes. You got to add a little humor. You got to make it a little interesting. And it was a short episode, if I remember right. Yeah, very it was brief. very brief. We had a funny thing happen. So I'll leave that as a little mystery, but you'll also see how we have grown from episode one to now, not only from the way we speak, but also the production quality. We have a great team of people, Amplify media that works with us and they've been doing a great job. I think the first episode, we did not work with them. That was just me and you trying to figure things out. So it could be a little rusty, but it's good to revisit the origin. And the other thing is that we do get out and we do teach people how to tell their life science story. And we just gave a seminar at IndieBio in New York that invited people from different organizations. IndieBio is a biotech incubator in the heart of 
of New York City. It's right by Penn Station. But we brought in people from Merck Digital, from Biolabs, and we gave a class to budding entrepreneurs on how to tell their life science story. And that is one of the underlying themes of what we're doing here on the Grow Everything podcast. Yeah, that was a great class. We had a lot of positive feedback after it. For us, our day-to-day job is at Messaging Lab. So we do work with companies to get their stories straight, as Carl mentioned. Um, and also, you know, what are the marketing tactics? And I personally, and I know sometimes you probably feel this way too, is that we take for granted everything that you and I have learned over the years, you know, our decades-long careers. And sometimes you just think people know, like, oh, you don't know that you should have a CRM and what that means and like how to set it up, but they don't and it's okay. But being able to share these tips and tricks and seeing the entrepreneurs, the bulbs in their head go off, it was really great. I had founders come up to me afterwards and I, know I saw them coming up to you too, Carl, and just asking, where do I get started? Because marketing and communications is one thing and it is everything, I would say. But there's a lot that goes on in starting a company and especially a biotech company, getting the right people, getting investors. How do you tell your story in a way that is compelling to people that might not have a scientific background. How do you share the value of why the technology you're working on is important? And how are you going to productize that technology? What are people going to touch and feel in the end? Yeah. And I think it's really important. So anybody who doesn't know what a CRM is, it's a customer relationship management tool. There are many of them out there. We happen to use HubSpot, but I've used other ones in the past. And it's just a way that businesses track who they come in contact with. It's a big database of contacts that you can keep notes on. You can show what a sales pipeline looks like. And it is one of those essential tools that we often recommend that people start using early on in a company because it's going to simplify things in the future. It's adjacent to communications. It's adjacent to storytelling. But speaking of stories, why don't we get into a couple of interesting stories that we've seen recently. Iram, you put this Union Square riot on the top of the list. We were talking about it on Saturday because apparently there was an influencer that was going to do a giveaway in New York City's Union Square, which is in lower Manhattan. It got out of control. Yeah, he was giving away PlayStations. And I know that sometimes those are hard to come by. And there was just a lot of things that were ripe for being a riot, being in a city center. Obviously, the influencer had a large following, but it was easy for their following to get to Union Square because they're probably all living in the city or be able to take the transit there. The giveaway was very hot. The PlayStation people wanted to have the opportunity not only to see that, but probably to also meet the influencer. I think at first, influencer was late or something. Carl, I know you read into it a little bit more, but people were getting heated. They were getting upset. The NYPD got wind of the gathering. It was unorganized. And it's funny to look at the news now because here we are, it's the Wednesday after. And today, even the headlines are like, another 13 teens were sought for attacking cop and smashing cops and attacking New York Police Department vehicles. Suspects are wanted for throwing barrels at cops during Union Square riot. The cleanup apparently could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. This riot proves that riots have nothing to do with political grievances. This just has to do with kids being frustrated that they were unable to access this influencer and or get their PlayStation. And when we talked about it first on Saturday, right after it happened, I was talking to my 16-year-old son and his friends are just like, Kai Senat, he's a popular Twitch streamer. He probably had no idea this was going to happen. He's like, yeah. hey, I'm going to go to Union Square. I'm going to give away 
some playstations and didn't expect thousands of people to show up. And as you mentioned, it's an easy place to get to. It's very central in lower Manhattan. There's a lot of train lines that meet there. I'm just like picturing the two, three and R. The F is a couple blocks away, but it's a very popular destination. Yeah, I was actually there the night before. Oh, geez. Because uh, that actually happened on Friday and I was there on a Thursday evening. I went to an alternative protein potluck dinner, which I definitely want to talk about. But I would just say in terms of this Union Square riot, the lesson I think we should learn as influencers in the biotech space is that we need to do a giveaway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what should so- we give away, Carl? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I'm thinking about what the longest lines are at Beta that are not food related. The food lines could be very long, but my forest farms had a long line of people wanting to try their mycelium bacon. There was on the last day, a lot of people in line to try Oobly's tea and chocolate. I'm not sure what we would give away. I think we need to give away PlayStations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, everybody, if you're listening, meet us in Union Square. <laughs> On August 25th <laughs> at high noon, and we'll have 25 PlayStations. Oh my God, so. you're wrong. Where are we going to get 25 PlayStations? Let's, That's the giveaway. Let's quickly switch wait, to wait, yeah. really quick that disclaimer. <laughs> PlayStations may not be available so yeah. just in case <laughs> we get sued. <laughs> right. Okay. Disclaimer in place. Let's talk about the alt protein meetup. Yeah. It was quite the event. Rachel Atchison, she held this potluck for people that are in the industry, whether they're biotech or in the food space. She does food policy for the mayor's office. She worked very closely with Mayor Eric Adams when he was borough president. And now she works on food policy and she does a great job of getting people together in a way where people are comfortable. People are really talking about what's on their mind, what's going on in industry. The people that attended this event were from all over. Some were biotech, a media company that focuses on the animal agriculture industry. And I was chit-chatting with some people from there. And it was very interesting to hear some stories that they bubbled up about subsidies and farmers. And it was just very interesting. And then like what's available. So it was alternative protein focusing on plant-based foods. Because right now, the actual animal cell meats aren't so readily available. Maybe Upside Foods, if you get access to a box, maybe we could have brought that, but I'm sure it might be a little pricey. But there were a lot of plant-based foods. I actually picked up Bluebird is a name of a company, and they make different types of plant-based chickens. Being in Brooklyn, there's a lot of vegan options, not only in terms of restaurants, there's like a vegan pizzeria. Around our block, there's a vegan Ethiopian place two doors down on our block. Like it's a lot of delicious vegan food. And in the grocery store, there's probably five frozen food refrigerators that are stocked with plant based meat alternatives. So it's a lot of option. And when I go shopping, I'm what we call an optimizer. I will look at every single thing that is on the shelf. And then I'll do a calculation in my head that includes price, includes the marketing because I fall for the marketing. I'm a big fan of people that put the effort in and the flavors and everything. And then like the ingredients. So I look at everything. So I'm there for like a good 20 minutes. I mean, I'm getting fast at this, but there's probably, I would say 80 options on the shelf. For proteins or plant-based meats. Yeah. Yeah. Plant-based meat alternatives. Yeah. Or alternatives alternative proteins, as they call it. I landed on the Bluebird Korean barbecue chicken nuggets. Reason is it checked up all the boxes. The branding was great. Korean barbecue nuggets sound delicious. The packaging was very, very nice. The price point was reasonable. So I was like, whoop, 
I just picked it up and people loved it. And coincidentally, one of the founders of Bluebird was at this meetup at Potluck and everyone thought that he had brought the Korean barbecue nugs, but it was actually me. And he was like, oh, why did you buy it? So I gave him my reasoning, which any entrepreneur loves to hear customer feedback. And if you don't, she might be an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he really was very attentive to my whole process and people loved it. It was like the one thing that went really fast because it had the flavors and we were talking about that in our crew in terms of how alternative proteins are going to win because it can be more expensive to produce, but it's a volume game. It's a marketing game. And there's some investors that were at this event and they were like, we're looking for the companies that have the winning marketing strategies. And when I asked them, which companies did they really admire? One company they mentioned was Rebellious Foods. Interesting. Because their marketing and their product market fit, like their strategy in terms of getting to market is super clear and concise. They're making nugs for millennials. It's cheap. People just want to eat chicken nuggets. Yes, it's plant-based. But by the way, even on the Blackbird packaging, it wasn't like whey protein. It didn't say anything like that. It didn't say anything with the ingredients. It just said barbecue chicken nugs. It said very thin on top plant-based. And then the ingredients were listed in the back. But what I saw first was just a picture of the food and the marketing and the colors and like the fact that it had the name. So both Blackbird, Rebellious Foods, we're going to just make sure this is affordable for younger people that enjoy chicken nuggets. It's the form factor of chicken that everyone loves. And they're doubling down on the marketing. They're making it cool. There's a story behind it. The words that they use, it's like liquid death. We mentioned liquid death. They also have that very funny, bold messaging that people just gravitate towards. So it's that checkbox, that marketing that's really going to help this company win because they're basically saying it's a scaling game. The more that we sell, the cheaper everything's going to be. And then the more we'll get into the market. Yeah. So I said it last podcast or a couple of podcasts ago, this is not a podcast about cultivated meat because we've been doing a deep dive on cultivated meat and alternate proteins. You know, one of the big arguments against cultivated meat, which is actually taking the cells from animals like cows or pigs or chicken and then growing them and turning them into something that we would eat. So basically meat without the animal. One of the arguments about it is that it's extremely costly and it's true. Right now it is costly, but there's discoveries happening every day that are positive. On the alternate protein side where people are using plant-based proteins, there is some really interesting things happening. And I also say this on the podcast many times, we need every solution everywhere all at once. I love Rebellious and their website. It says, so by the way, it's Rebellious with a Y. It says plant-based chicken for people who love chicken and chickens. Because Mm -hmm. as an FYI, fun fact, we grow something like 9 billion chickens in the United States per year. I've been reading a book called Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Four, and I'm just a couple chapters into it. I'm still learning a lot about these things, even though I have said that I grew up around the meat industry. My dad is a meat cutter, retired meat cutter. Just like the animal welfare side of it is just heartbreaking. There was just a New York Times piece about this last week where they talked about where does your bacon come from and the cruelty that pigs undergo. And, uh, you know, pigs are as smart as dogs, if not smarter. We 
eat a lot of pigs. We don't eat very many dogs. It's one of those things that is going into this consideration of growing different kinds of protein, where it comes from, and how do we make it cheaper so that everybody can afford it? There's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack. We've written a newsletter that we talk about consumer acceptance. We're in the process of writing a newsletter about texture and taste. And we're looking for those places where you mentioned investors, where the gaps are, where there's interest, where investors can help make a difference in this burgeoning industry. But like I've said before, Messaging Lab is not a cultivated meat company. We work with life science companies across the board. We just happen to be writing about cultivated meat. In the future, we'll be writing about biomaterials. We'll be writing about biopharma, which is something we write a lot about. Generally, for the entrepreneurs that listen to us, we write a lot about storytelling. Yeah, yeah. we're not a cultivated meat podcast, but I wanted to point out a couple of things too, in terms of our food habits and cultivated meat, because biotech has traditionally focused and made lots of money in the biopharma space where you're being injected with some substance in order to make you healthy. But food is also a substance that you're consuming that should be making you healthy. And it's helping us grow. We're growing everything. We're growing ourselves. This idea of cultivated foods, whether it's cultivated plant-based foods, anytime we say cultivated, a lot of times that's linked to the process of fermentation and growing cells. Then those cells then making some type of product at the end. And then there's just plant-based foods. Sometimes that's just more of a process of grinding and making some type of formula. So there's different types. It depends. A lot of plant-based foods might not necessarily be as expensive. That's why you see Beyond Foods and Impossible Foods on the shelves already. And you don't see animal cell protein on the shelves because it's still very expensive. But Upside Foods is one of the first to get it out there. I don't think it's out there yet. I think they just have the green lights to put it out there. But I just think that the functional food is just very interesting how our habits are going to change. I mean, if we're going to be eating alternative proteins, there could be more benefits when it comes to how they're made. We will talk about a company that we're starting to work with closely. It's looking to add more nutrients and flavor, as Carl mentioned, with deep diving into texture and flavor. But think about eating a cultivated beef that has omega-3 fatty acids in it and other things like antioxidants and things that now beef is good for you. That is what's possible with the cultivated food world. I think that's one side of it. There's also this other trend of something that we talked about at this potluck is that people are eating less. They're eating less for lots of reasons. Intermittent fasting has been known to help people live longer. So people are not eating as much. Then people are taking medications that just suppress their appetite. And that's been going on since the 90s with different types of medication. Ozempic is now the drug that people are taking to lose weight, which is eating less. That could also have an impact on the animal ag and price. It could have an effect on price for animal meat. If people are consuming less of it, maybe they need to make less of it and maybe it's going to cost more. I don't know how that's all going to pan out, but considering that people might eat less because they want to live longer and people are starting to realize that whether they're intentionally not eating with intermittent fasting or they're taking medications to not eat as much. Right. So just as a fun fact, Iran will often make fun of me because I often do not eat lunch. I will often just have one meal a day. And I've done this for a long time. I feel great when I eat. I feel great when I don't. I like not eating. I'm not sure that that becomes a widespread trend. I mean, it is a trend among a certain class of people. Let's just say it that way. But these kind of weight loss drugs, you mentioned Ozembic. And this morning I sent you a link to a story about Novo Nordisk. They have a weight loss drug called Wegovi, which apparently the success of this drug has made Novo worth more than all of the other Danish blue chip companies combined, which just shows how much money can be generated by biotechnology. And it's one of those things that we talk about 
out. Like it doesn't take a lot of biotech drug from a volume point of view to create a lot of value. And that's very different from cultivated meat where you do need to produce a lot because you're feeding billions of people. You need to be able to grow a lot of that protein. The Novo story is just really interesting to me because it just shows that one company can be worth more than many other companies or many other countries. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago that the Taylor Swift era concert was going to generate more money than the GDP of 35 countries in the world. But also we've seen that with a lot of these big companies like Amazon. I'm sure that they are worth way more than a lot more countries, just the way that these companies are getting to the market. Yeah. Let's go back to talking about science communications and science storytelling. One thing that I just wanted to mention, we have had John Cumbers, my co-author on What's Your Biostrategy on the podcast pretty early on. John just celebrated 500 issues of their newsletter, which comes out every week. So that's basically 10 years every week putting out a newsletter. Kudos to John and the team. That's a humongous accomplishment. Clearly, there's a lot of interest in what's happening in the world of synthetic biology. If you're interested in the world of synthetic biology, I recommend you go to symbiobeta.com and sign up for their newsletter because it's very good. It gives you a good overview of the stories that are happening in the world on a weekly basis. Yeah, congrats to John Cumbers and the team. I know that takes a lot of diligence and discipline in order to make those newsletters. I'm really curious if you were to take all those newsletters and wrap that around a large language model and see what kind of insights can be derived, being able to have a conversation with all the intelligence that's in that newsletter, I'm sure is going to be very valuable to maybe investors that want to invest in biotech companies. Because this is a conversation we got into at SynBioBeta with some founders is that SynBioBeta is not just synthetic biology. It actually started going beyond synthetic biology. And that there's a difference between the companies that were at SynBioBeta and what synthetic biology actually is. Right. Just to be clear, I mean, I think this comes up all the time. It comes up all the time in our world. Biotechnology, the definition is the use of biology as a technology. And this is something we've done for centuries. The dawn of civilization, people say that agriculture and livestock rearing are really the dawn of biotech and then also fermentation. So these are things that humans have done for a long time. Synthetic biology is something that's been talked about since the early 1900s, but really didn't come into fashion until the early 2000s or 2010s. And synthetic biology is more of an approach. It's a much more rigorous, we could say, approach. It's much more engineering focused. We talk a lot about the design, build, test, learn cycle, which is something that engineers do. You propose something, you design it, you build it, you test it, and then you learn from your test and then you iterate until you get the product right. So that's really, to me, and there are many definitions of synthetic biology. And maybe in the notes, we can include a couple of videos or a couple of definitions that we've seen, but it is something that confuses people is Synbio Biotech. Yes and yes. I think people who are traditional biotech people who have been working on genetic engineering for decades, probably some of them, not all of them, look at Symbio and they just go, oh, yeah, that's biotech. It's just more genetic engineering. I've heard people say that synthetic biology is a way of rebranding biotechnology, making it more user-friendly. I don't agree with that because I just think synthetic and biology don't really go well together. Engineered biology is another way to describe synthetic biology, but it's still biotechnology. Yeah, so- but- 
was actually when we were having our indoor picnic because it was raining, but we had a little biotech Brooklyn mafia picnic. And Ellen was talking about this, saying that who's the gentleman that made the video, Carl, that she was talking about? Drew Endy. Yeah. Yeah. And so Ellen was saying that there is a specific definition of synthetic biology from Drew Endy. Yeah. Drew definitely has a definition and we should try to get him on the pod just to talk about that at some point, just to help clear it up for people. There's multiple definitions for synthetic biology and synthetic biology is part of biotech. I always think of it as being much more of an engineering approach, but we can get into it. I'm happy to debate it or talk about it all the time. There's definitely multiple definitions, but I think since you know we're sitting at the crux of it all, we can help clarify and maybe segment. Because like you said, people do have a chip on their shoulder about the actual term synthetic biology. When I talked to Paul Samets, the yeah. king of mushrooms, the mushroom god, he uh, was at Bio Beta, and I was chit-chatting with him and he was like, we got to change this synthetic biology. That's not what's going on. And it's because he doesn't identify with that. So, you know, he's really just cultivating plants or I guess fungi in his case to be used as a tool for something more, right? Like you said, biotech is technology. Bio- using using bio- biology is technology. Yeah. Which is very even, broad. Yeah. Is, it's very broad, but it's like, what is technology? It's a tool to help people accomplish something that they're set out to do. Right. And so for Paul Samet's case, he is using mushrooms and he does have a formula, the Stamets stack, where it's like psilocybin mushrooms and vitamin B and some other things that help him think a little bit more psychedelically and differently. And maybe he's engineering that formula, but not necessarily changing the DNA. He's probably engineering in terms of growing on a farm in a specific location. But anyway, he was definitely like, we got to change the name. We should call it Bio Beta, not Synbio Beta in terms of the conference. And he said that on stage right after he talked to me. And then John Cumber's like, okay, maybe we'll be called BioBeta. If that's the case, I heard it first from Paul Stamets. I do think that there's something to bucket synthetic biology into something. So it lives just there rather than trying to encompass everything that it might be doing more harm than good. Right. There's a lot there. So why don't we end this mini episode out with a PSA? You'd put down a PSA, Iram. And what was that PSA, that public service announcement? Well, this PSA, we actually had this PSA in the early episodes, I believe. It's this lantern fly. So this is really a PSA for people, I think, in the New York area. I'm not sure if the lantern fly is affecting other states in the U.S., but I saw on Instagram and basically his public service announcement is to squish lanternflies. <laughs> like it's it's really interesting to see these signs. I mean, I've seen stickers, signs, obviously social media, all saying squish the lanternfly, squish a lanternfly. It's an invasive species. It's hurting our trees. They are so gross. Although, ex- except I do like the red when they open their wings. There's this right. color. It's, it's kind of cool. So I'm like, can we just harvest those lanternflies and maybe make some kind of dye or something like rather than squish them and it's garbage? We here at Grow Everything, we want to, we also think about climate and a circular economy. Waste is a failure of imagination, as Nicole Richards from Alonia has said. But yeah, I just think it's really interesting that there's this campaign to squish lanternflies. This is the solution. I don't know why we don't just gene drive it, Carl. Like, can we just gene drive it? And can you explain to our friends what a gene drive? Oof, you're getting deep, (laughs) Iram. 
it's complicated, but I have to look it up while we're sitting here. But basically, it's a form of genetic engineering that will propagate a trait, a specific trait through a population. So in the case of the lanternfly, you might breed some lanternflies that have a trait so that the males are sterile, so that all males that breed would pass that gene on to the next generation. This idea of gene drives is a bit controversial. It's being tested, I believe, in Nantucket because they have a big problem. Maybe it's with Lyme disease. This idea of being able to take out a population of insects is controversial because you don't know what the unintended consequences are. There are tests ongoing in multiple locations around the world where they're taking mosquitoes out because mosquitoes are harbingers of many diseases. Potentially taking the mosquitoes out of the ecosystem could prevent those diseases from happening. But you don't know who's feeding on the mosquitoes. I know spiders eat mosquitoes. I've had some bad experiences with mosquitoes this year in the Adirondacks. It's been raining a lot. Yesterday, I went on a very brief hike. The mosquitoes were so bad, I was wearing insect netting and they still got me. My whole face was swollen. And then I took some Zyrtec, which supposedly has no side effects, but made me pretty loopy. Uh, (laughs) These are the kinds of things that I think are going to become very important for people to understand is the climate crisis continues because with the melting of the permafrost, we don't know what's going to go into the air. The changing of the weather means that insects that normally lived in, say, southern states are moving northwards. Tick-borne diseases are growing. The alpha-gal syndrome, where you become allergic to meat, is terrifying. You get that from ticks. These are all things that are very heavy. They're all science stories and require science storytelling. And I think, yeah, could we take out the lantern flies with gene drives? We could. But I don't know if it's as big of a problem or if people see it as big a problem as some of the other more pressing problems. Yeah, we'll have to see a little bit more about this lantern fly. Because um, they say squish it and they want you to take a picture of it on an app and send it to the New York parks or the I Battery just... Park City Authority. I just don't know how you could effectively destroy that population just by squishing them because you can only squish so many of them. But yeah, they're in the trees. So if you're hanging out in trees all day, maybe you can make a dent. But like (laughs) there's two that came into my house because we had our windows open. I didn't kill them. You know, I just, you know, I don't want to squish and get lanternfly guts everywhere. But to segue into saying goodbye but also saying we have a great episode that is aligned with this idea of ecosystems and why populations are important. Historically, when populations have been swept away, for example, the passenger pigeon, there used to be billions of them in the Northeast back in the day before people came over and colonized North America. But then they were all taken out and that had consequences. But can we bring them back? So our next episode is with Ben Novak from Revive and Restore. And their whole mission is to revive extinct species, but also save endangered species and how to leverage all solutions, not just genetics, not just the Jurassic Park methodology, but many different types of methodologies in order to save our species and ultimately our planet. So definitely stay tuned. Listen next week. That's going to be a treat. All right. So let's close it out. I think that's the pod. I think we want to remind everyone we do have a hotline now, the Grow Everything hotline. If you have a bird burning question or a comment, you can always email us. But if you want to leave a message, leave a recommendation for a guest to interview, or you have some comments, you can call 804-505-5553. 
Again, that's 804-505-5553. Phone charges may apply. I think we're supposed to say that. And we do have also a Patreon page. Patreon helps us pay for the production cost of this podcast. So if you're interested, visit the Grow Everything page at messaginglab.com. Yep, it'll all be in the show notes. So even this phone number, you can just go in the show notes, click on the phone number, save it as Grow Everything and text us because we also receive text messages. So if you want to just get something off your mind, related to biotech, related to messaging, related to whatever, and you just needed to tell someone something, let us know. And if you do leave a voice message, we may play it on the air. So if you want to get some airtime, leave us something interesting. (laughs) All right. That's awesome. We will talk to you soon. See you later. 